Welcome back to the channel. As you might know, about two weeks ago, YouTube deplatformed me because I refused to cave into YouTube's pressure to only say concerning SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines, what the establishment said is acceptable for you to hear. You know, that's one of the interesting things about being deplatformed. It's really not about me. It's about you. What they're really saying is you aren't allowed to hear what I have to say. Even if you want to hear it, you might not even believe what I say. But they say you're not allowed to hear it. You're not smart enough. You're not intelligent enough. You're not discerning enough. You're not mature enough to be able to listen to what I say and make up your own mind. That's really what deplatforming is all about. It's not about me. It's about YouTube or Facebook's perception of you. Anyway, moving on, uh, I was looking through the archives that I have, searching for some videos that were lost and unavailable to people since YouTube removed them all, uh, and I came across a video that I did, which is essentially a 15-minute explanation that essentially covers the key points of the government's income tax scam. In other words, it covers the key points. If somebody's wondering, like, okay, Dave's talked about this a lot. Is this true? Is Dave credible on this point? This hits the key points. So I wanted to share that with you today. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. I'm Dave Champion. 26 CFR 1.1-1. I can almost read your mind like, what is Dave talking about? If you're an American citizen or a legal resident of the United States, you're going to want to pay very careful attention to what I'm about to say. So again, 26 CFR 1.1-1. What is that? Well, let's start with CFR, means the Code of Federal Regulations. And the number 26 that you see appearing before CFR designates it as the title within the regs that addresses U.S. tax law. Now, do not tune out if you think tax law is going to be dry and boring because it's not. I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to make it fun. And I'm going to make it interesting and probably shocking. Let's start with putting this into context. 1.1-1 is the very first tax regulation concerning income tax. In all the tens of thousands of regulations, 1.1-1 is the first one. It is also the one used a lot by people who want to try and promote the false establishment narrative that if you're in a living, you owe income tax. 1.1-1 is entitled Income Tax on Individuals. Let's see what it says. 1.1-1A, General Rule. Section 1 of the Code imposes an income tax on the income of every individual who is a citizen or resident of the United States and to the extent provided by Section 871B or 877B on the income of non-resident alien individuals. I think America would be a completely different country if in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, um, students were taught 
something <laughs> about how law operates, how laws are written. Because as you can imagine from the language you just heard, where it says there is hereby imposed on the income of every U.S. citizen and resident, you can imagine that the uninformed person goes, well, see, see, it does apply to everybody. Okay, so we have to go back and take a look at the fact that it starts with general rule. Now, general rule is important because this is the way laws are written. When you have this entire compendium of laws, in this case regulations, the opening statement is a general statement provided without all the limiting specifics that come later. So what are these specifics that limit the broad general language of 1.1-1? There are quite a few things that are not addressed in that statement, right? I mean, that's a, that's a very generalized statement. So we'll start with this. It says U.S. citizen. Which U.S. citizens? Because it does not say all U.S. citizens. It just says U.S. citizens. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say the Secretary of Energy creates regulations for the nuclear power industry. He creates thousands of regulations for the nuclear power industry, and it pertains to U.S. citizens, U.S. individuals, domestic corporations, and so forth. That language is right in there. Does it apply to U.S. citizens who are not involved in the nuclear industry? No, of course not. And that's how regulatory law works. It is not law of general applicability to everybody. You have to be engaged in something that causes that area of regulatory law to embrace you. So it's not all citizens. It's a very small subset. Some other issues that that broad generalized statement doesn't address is what specific activity do you have to be engaged in? Is there a jurisdiction, a locale in which you have to engage in that activity for the, uh, the regulatory net to grab you? Do you need to have some sort of special kind of relationship with someone over there in order for the tax law, again, to embrace you? Let's start with this somewhat arcane fact that most people probably are not aware, but it is one of those distinguishing characteristics that's not addressed in that broad generalized statement. And it is this. The Supreme Court has said on numerous occasions that the income tax is not imposed on the accumulation of income. It is only imposed on the receipt of income. And by the way, as an aside, income does not have the same meaning in tax law that you probably imagine it does based on how we use it in common speech. So what does this distinction, accumulation versus receipt of income, look like? I've shared with you numerous other videos, and it appears in Income Tax Shattering the Mist, the fact that the Secretary of the Treasury has said time and time and time and time and time and time again that the person who is to file a Form 1040 is a non-resident alien with U.S. source income or a U.S. citizen or resident, where have we heard that language earlier in this conversation, who is serving as the agent for the foreign person with U.S. source income. Let's say a non-resident alien has millions of dollars invested in Apple. And when it's time for Apple to pay out dividends, the non-resident alien has instructed Apple to pay those dividends to a U.S. domestic brokerage firm, who then turns around and reinvests the money on behalf of the non-resident alien. Has the non-resident alien accumulated U.S. source income? 
or taken receipt of it. Clearly, it's an accumulation, not a receipt. And the requirement to file the return kicks in only upon separation from the capital and receipt of the profits. Here's where the rubber begins to meet the road. What is the legal term in the tax code for Americans or domestic corporations who serve as the agent for non-resident aliens with U.S. source income. Well, until 1962, it was written out in a very lengthy way, and I'll give you an example of that now. All persons, in whatever capacity acting, having the control, receipt, custody, disposal, or payment of any of the items of income of any non-resident alien individual or of any foreign partnership, so you can imagine that trying to integrate all of that language into every single regulation or statute or treasury decision or treasury order can get kind of tedious. So in 1962, Congress attempted to resolve that by taking a legal term that had never before existed in the tax code and creating it for use in the tax code. And that legal term was in 1962 and remains to this very day, U.S. Person. Now, I want you to pay very careful attention to what I'm about to say next. Right after Congress enacted the law that created for the purpose of tax law the phrase or the legal term U.S. person, the Secretary of the Treasury came out with a slew of regulations relying upon that new definition. And every single one was in the context of a U.S. citizen or domestic corporation having care, control, custody, etc., of U.S. source income to a non-resident alien. Let me put an even finer point on this. I'm sitting here recording this in 2020, and of course that term was put in the tax code in 1962, so that's been 58 years. I want to make clear, in 58 years, the term U.S. person in the tax code, in the tax regulations, and in subsequent uh, treasury decisions and treasury orders has never once been used in any other application than when discussing U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person and the U.S. agent, the U.S. citizen or the domestic corporation acting as the agent for the foreign person with U.S. source income. That is the one, the sole, the only reference for U.S. person in the 58 years since that term was created. So, why does that matter? Okay, hold on. It's going to blow your mind. I want all of you to pay very careful attention. But in particular, if you own your own business, I want you to pay extra special attention. And here's why. If you own your own business, you've probably been asked to fill out this form time and time and time again, right? And you've probably thought the Form W-9 is just something that is it's required. And it is used just between regular old businesses doing business together in the states of the union. There's nothing special about it. It's just common bill affair. That's probably what you thought because your accountant told you so. But is that true? The question then becomes, who is it that is to fill in and sign under penalty of perjury a Form W-9? Well, I'm not going to answer that for you. Instead, I'm going to take you directly to irs.gov and the instruction page for the Form W-9 on irs.gov. 
You can see very clearly here that the question being asked is, how do I know when to use a Form W-9? And you can see with equal clarity the answer right here. Use Form W-9 to request the taxpayer identification number of a, yeah, U.S. person. And as we just discussed, the U.S. person is a legal term. It's the euphemism since 1962 for a U.S. citizen or domestic corporation having care, trust, custody, control, etc., of U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. So you did not realize for all the years that you've been filling out and executing those W-9s and giving them to the people that were paying you that you were actually declaring under penalty of perjury to the IRS that the transaction that was taking place is in the interest of the money being received by you. The money being received by you actually belongs to a, a foreign person and you are the U.S agent for the foreign person. You are the U.S. person. So I guess what you don't know can hurt you because you're declaring that you are a U.S. agent of a non-resident alien. Every time you fill that out, sign it and give it to the guy who's paying you. And guess who's required to file a 1040 at the end of the year? Yeah, the non-resident alien upon whom the tax has been imposed. Or, and this takes us all the way back around to the language of 1.1-1, or a U.S. citizen or resident acting as the agent for the non-resident alien if the non-resident alien does not file his own 1040, then according to the regs, the U.S. citizen or resident who is acting as the U.S. agent for that non-resident alien has to file an income tax return 1.1-1. And although I've said this till I'm blue in the face, I'm going to say it one more time. Well, probably not just one more time. But of all these Treasury decisions where the Secretary of the Treasury has mandated time and time and time and time and time again that the people who are to fill out a Form 1040 are non-resident aliens and U.S. agents for the non-resident alien, how many times has the Secretary of the Treasury said that an American citizen living in one of the 50 states earning his or her own domestic source income is to fill out any U.S. tax form. Again, as I've said time and again, the answer to that question, I know you know the answer before I say it out loud, is zero. Because no such requirement exists. Unless you don't know what you're doing and you're filling out W-9s and handing them out, declaring under penalty of perjury, you're a domestic agent of a foreign person with U.S. source income. I don't know whether that was all crystal clear to you or whether it was clear as mud, but the good news is you can get all of this information really super easy to understand. Number one, you can purchase income tax shattering the mist, which right now there's a special that for you buy it, I pay the shipping, so shipping is for you. That a lot of people have referred to income tax shattering the mist as concerning the truth about the income tax the Bible. Uh, that should give you an idea of how comprehensive and thorough, and in this particular case, easy to understand the material is. Now, if for any reason you question, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I hear what Dave's saying, but I don't know if I want to go ahead and buy the whole book. There is also an alternative. There is the W9-1099 handbook, kind of the booklet. That's cost a bit less, and it's only, I don't know, 13, 14 pages, but it buttresses, it represents very, very clearly in undisputable terms everything I just laid out to you now. So if you were inclined to say, let me get that 
that 1099 um, W9 booklet. Let me take, take a look at that. If I find that information compelling, then I'll take the next step to income tax shattering the mist. You can certainly do that as well. And they are both available right now at drreality.news. Also, for those of you who work for somebody else, because this was primarily oriented around the concept of owning your own business, but for those of you who work for somebody else, I want you to know that it's the same scam, a very similar scam, um, with a whole W-4 and all that. So for you, again, if you don't want to make the full investment in income tax shattering the mist, you may want to get the withholding booklet. Again, I think it's 12 or 13 pages. It costs less. When you're done, you'll say, I totally get it. And then you'll probably want to go ahead and buy income tax shattering mist because you'll want to know uh, more of the nitty gritty, more of the detail. Now, I would encourage you just to go ahead and get income tax shattering the mist because it's it's all in there. But if you're wary, then either get the W9-1099 handbook and the W4 employers, employee handbook that that will that can serve as your entry into the subject matter. On the other hand, you can get them all, um, which is a super comprehensive package. And again, if income tax shattering the myths is in whatever bundle you buy, so it can be multiple items, but if income tax shattering the myths is there, I pay the shipping for you. Go to drreality.news and I hope all of this information I gave you at the outset and throughout this video leads you to understand there is absolutely 100% without a doubt a scam afoot. And you are the person being victimized by the scam. And it's so easy to say, I'm done. But it does require a little bit of education. And that's what you'll find in Income Tax Shattering the Mist. Thanks for being here.